Well, welcome everyone. If uh, you're new to the church or just checking in, my name is Jose, and we're in a long study in the revelation of Jesus, and we're going to continue that uh, this morning. If you have your Bible or your app, why don't you go to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to look at all of chapter 12 and 13 today, which um, is no small order, to say the least. It's a, there's a lot to cover. I do want to say a, a big public thank you to Steve Marshman, who taught the last few weeks, and he's just amazing. And his love for this book and his time and study has been so helpful. Uh, how many of you have had a chance to listen to at least one of the podcasts in a Revelation conversation? Yeah. And if you're newer to, to reading parts of the Bible that at first seem hard to understand, I found it to be so helpful and been enjoying it every week. I hope you listened to chapters 12 and 13. If not, you could just do it uh, when you get home. But big picture, uh, when we're looking at something like this, we need to remember what's the point. The point is that the revelation is hopefully going to draw us to a more awe-inspiring vision of Jesus. You think you know who Jesus is, and then you read parts of the Bible or you hear parts of the Bible, and you're like, oh, wow, he's that and more. It's supposed to give us hope. The revelation isn't supposed to scare us. When I was a kid, I was so scared of this book. There's dragons in this book. I'm going to read about a dragon and two beasts. And as a young one, I'm like, whoa, whoa. And there's a mark that's from the beast, and it's 666. And if you have the mark, you're not in a good spot. And so what we want to do is think about what that means. All right, if you're in a community group that you have on your chair here at home, I want you to download off of our main page. The last of our winter sessions is uh, this week, and we want you to, get to be talking about this. Revelation is a book that's to be discussed because there's so much to learn from one another. Our group's been having a great time in it. And um, this is the last one for the winter. Taking a couple week break after this, and just to let you know, uh, we'll, we're gonna continue in Revelation through Easter, and we timed it. Our spring session is coming right after Easter, and we're gonna invite you to join in. And the last seven messages from the Revelation will be going with the last seven weeks of that spring session. And we wanna come out of some of the darkness that's been in this book, into the light and see where this ends. And it would be so good if you didn't do that alone. So if you've never joined one of our community groups, we'll be sharing how you can do that even after Easter. Interesting, as we've been looking through it, I realize I've got my background in the Revelation and other people have a different background. In our group, even this last week, it was quite clear for some, and this may be you, this is brand new. You never really read it. I mean, you skim read it. Uh, or you just totally avoid it. And you may have grown up without a church background or a church that just ignored it because this is like wading in the deep waters and there's so much confusion. And so when you're hearing it for the first time, it was interesting to hear the responses. Uh, the church I grew up was on the opposite end of that spectrum. It was a bit infatuated with the revelation. And so much so that a lot of time and energy was spent on trying to figure out what every one of these symbols means and, and how that's applying, like literally headlines. The European Union is about to be formed. I'm that old. In, in Europe, and could this be a sign of the times? And so depending on where you're coming from, you're going to look at this slightly differently. What do we want to do as a church? We want to read it responsibly. It's the word of God. We shouldn't ignore it. We shouldn't avoid it. 
And at the same time, we shouldn't be so obsessed with trying to figure out when it's all gonna happen. I love what Steve said last week. I don't know if you wrote it in your notes. As I listened to the podcast afterwards, I wrote it down. The who and the what are more important than the when. Who is this speaking to? What is this about? What is the church supposed to know? What are we supposed to see about Jesus? It is way more important than when's it all gonna take place. Because I think everyone would agree there are parts of the revelation that were in the past. There are parts of the revelation that speak to now. There are parts of the revelation that speak to the future. Who cares about the when? I want to know Jesus better now. How about you? I want to know him better. And I want, if he's got a word for us as his people, I want to embrace it. And so we want to, we want to learn to read it responsibly, not freaked out and definitely not ignorant because this is the greatest book of hope. When you read the Revelation, you're supposed to, as a matter of fact, when the early seven churches got it, they were in hard times, they were in difficult season, and this was a letter from Jesus to his people with hope about their life now and the future. Okay, all of that to say, we're gonna take a turn. Chapter 12 is literally dead center in the book, and it turns quickly. And what have we seen so far? We're in this middle section, which seems confusing when you're just looking at the images, but John, who sees this glorious thing, you know what he sees? He sees three sets of seven. There are seven seals, and God unseals the seals, and there's judgment on the earth. And then there's seven trumpets, right? The seven trumpets happen, and it seems like a repeat, except when this, these trumpets are blown, it's worse. And then if we keep reading, which we are, we're going to see that there are going to be seven bowls that have judgment in them, and it's worse. The picture is supposed to, as you hear it, get you thinking. As we get closer to the end of God doing what he's going to do, it's going to become clearer and clearer that God is taking the injustice of the world, and he is making things right. He's not overlooking the evil that's going on right now. It may not seem like God's working, but he's always working. And we know as we get towards the future where he's going to bring the new heavens and the new earth, everything that is unlike him and unholy will be seen and will be dealt with. And that means that God is love, and we heard from Steve in the last couple of weeks, but has wrath. These three sets of judgments speak to the reality that God is love. You want to know what love is like? Know God. But at the same token, he has wrath. A loving God doesn't turn a blind eye to rape. A loving God does not see the pain and suffering by evil people in this world, not just institutions and governments. I'm talking about people who are living evilly and doing evil in this world. What God is saying to his church and to us at all time is don't you worry, you trust me, I'm going I'm to judge these things. I'm going to do what's right. And I'm going to bring wholeness to brokenness. All right, here's what I want you to do. Take out your phone, take a photo of one quote that's going to summarize everything I'm about to tell you. And then because this quote is kind of heady, uh, I'm not going to lie, um, I want to take a few minutes and unpack it by reading the text and just giving a few comments along the way. It's Grant Osborne's super good commentary on the Revelation. Uh, quote, Revelations 12 through 14, which we're going to read, are the third and final interlude tracing the church's involvement in the action of the three judgment sets. In other words, this is what the church is doing in the middle of it. This time showing the war 
between the woman slash church and the false trinity, the dragon and two beasts. This also provides the first extended portrait of the supreme evil being, the dragon slash Satan, as well as his purpose and strategy. I just tuck that away. Sounds a little heady, but this is what this section is about. It's about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and an imposter, the dragon and two beasts, and what the enemy's trying to do. All right, here we go, chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to read all of 12 and 13, so get ready. A great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars and on her head. And she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them on the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who, quote, will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, end quote, that's Psalm 2. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. The good thing is all this is clear. It doesn't even need any explanation. What in the world? Okay, so you got a pregnant woman and you got a dragon trying to take out the child at its birth. Okay, who is the Woman. That's all we need to think about right now. Well, the woman, woman represents the people of God. A lot of the pictures in the Revelation, if you haven't read the whole Bible, they seem like they don't make sense. But in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 3, you have a serpent. Well, here it's a dragon. But it's a creature that's seen as evil. And in Genesis 3, you have Adam and Eve, and they both are tempted and they fall prey to the lies of this serpent. But God promises, if you've read the early part in Genesis 3, 16, that, that out of the woman, out of the line of mankind, God's going to bring about a savior. It's going to be the Messiah and he's going to make things right. He's going to bring in justice. And this relationship with God that's been broken because of sin is going to be brought together and healed and whole. Okay, all John is seeing and sharing is this Bible imagery, but in a whole new way. Because if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that Jesus was born and he lived, but you don't see all that's going on. The nuance we see here is while God has a rescue plan, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Father sends the Son, the Spirit empowers the Son. The Spirit doesn't do his own work. He only points to the Son. And the son, Jesus, he goes, we celebrate it on Easter, he, he pays the ultimate penalty for our sin and he dies on a cross, but he's raised to life by the power of the Holy Spirit and the son rises again to life and ascends to the father and the father and the son, they send the spirit to the church to live the way of Jesus. God, in how he describes himself, is saving. At the same time, we need to know something there is a diabolical plan against God and his people the whole way through. You may not see it. Notice, the woman represents the people of God. You say, well, I thought the woman, wouldn't that be Mary? Well, yes, Mary is the human mother of Jesus. But the word here is out of Eve's 
lineage, not out of Eve, but out of her offspring would come Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the people of God. And so what John is reminding us is, is out of God's people, all that God's promised, it's fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah, the male child, who will rule with an iron scepter. It was, it was imagery, like King David was a ruler, so a ruler would come from his line, and, and this has already happened, but at the same token, you've got an enemy. Now, if you read the Gospels, you know that, that Herod tried to kill Jesus uh, when he's born, but by God's design, an angel tells the family, hey, you got to get out of here, go to Egypt, because they're going to try to kill the child. God protects the child. Notice the same thing's happening here. There's this offspring, these people, and they're protected and pulled out. Um, was Herod trying to kill Jesus? Who, who's trying to kill Jesus? Who's trying to stop God's plan? You see, we see human activity, and what the revelation gives us is more than human activity. It's, it's the enemy, the dragon. Verse 7, just notice. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon... And his angels fought back. So there's a war going on. But he was not strong enough, so they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent. And now he gives us who it is. Call the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of its Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night, he's been hurled down. And they triumphed over him, that's Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He will be filled with fury because he knows that his, his time is short. So you have this battle going on. Who's the dragon? He tells us here. He doesn't tell us who the woman is, but we see it's the people of God. God does his work through his people, but the dragon is Satan. Satan isn't his name, it's his title. The word Satan means adversary or enemy. So you could say the enemy, you could say the devil, you could say Satan. You're speaking of the same spiritual being who's in a opposition to God. And what are we supposed to know? Because all this imagery is like, there's a battle going on and he's hurled down and there's a voice from heaven. Who wins? That's what you need to know. Who wins? The vivid imagery is that what you and I as Jesus' people need to know, there's a real unseen battle. Herod wasn't trying to kill Jesus. The devil was trying to kill Jesus, trying to stop God's plan. But the devil lost, and Jesus goes to the cross and wins the victory. And so, therefore, there's a call from heaven. God's to be praised and his Messiah. Jesus is alive. And where has the devil been thrown? hurled down to the earth. And what is the devil trying to do? The devil is trying to destroy because he knows his time is short. And this sounds crazy. It just happens to be true. The dragon, the enemy, the devil, Satan, do not win. Write that down, underscore it, circle it. Do whatever you do, 
Make note of that. Does not win. Fights, but doesn't win. Why? Verse 11. They triumphed over him, the work of the enemy. How? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And then this little connector that you can't throw out. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So there's a real battle, and the enemy's really working and really trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And that means there are going to be things that happen in our lives that we don't understand, that we don't like, that we don't enjoy. And they don't come from God. They come from the enemy. And the enemy who's trying to still kill and, kill and destroy your life, what you need to know is this. Write it down. Jesus already won the victory in his death and resurrection. Yes, the devil is powerful, but he's defeated. So what he's doing is he's trying to hurl and hurt those who belong to the victor. Jesus has already won it. And this is why it's a book of hope, because I can walk through hell on earth, but I know who wins. And I belong to the victor. I do not belong to the enemy. And so the enemy has limited power, real power, limited power. So how do we win? How do we walk victoriously? Write this down. We live in Jesus' victory as we faithfully follow Jesus no matter what comes our way. Underline that part. And you know what's been so challenging, and I hope I'm not speaking to you, but if I am, there's a word of hope, is this last year has had a few bumps in the road. I think we'd agree, right? A few challenges. And, and in that, you know what I've noticed? And I'm, speaking, I'm not speaking to people I don't know, so if you're watching, welcome. I may not be talking about you. But there are people I know in this church that in this last year, I've watched from a distance, but close enough to see a decline in spiritual vitality. Used to be passionate, used to be connected, used to be engaged, and slowly drifting away. Who did that? COVID? No. There's an enemy who's been hurled down, powerful but defeated, who's trying, hear me, who's using life's circumstances to draw you away from the power of the victory in Jesus. And here's the question. Are you letting the enemy pull you away? Now, limited power, power but limited power, can do a lot of temporary destruction. The enemy can't steal the victory in Jesus, but can totally steal your joy, steal your fruitfulness, steal your, your holiness and devotion to God. So here this is a wake-up call. Uh, don't use, it's been a rough year, as an excuse to say why you're not following Jesus. Don't say, well, if you would have known all that I'm going through, we're all going through stuff, okay? But you need to know we're in a real battle, and the battle is for your usefulness in Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm victorious, stand with me. And the more we pull towards Jesus, the more we're going to experience real victory, even though it doesn't seem like it, in your soul you will know, I'm with Jesus. Now, what happens in the here and now? Why, if Jesus won the victory, why is there so much hell on earth? Well, let's just keep reading. Verse 13, when the dragon saw that he'd been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman, that's the people of God, who had, been given, uh, who had given birth to the male child, those who belong to the Messiah, right? The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, 
and half a time out of the serpent's reach. So in a sense, the, the image is that there's some protection there. Then the mouth of, his serv- uh, of the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman. So God's hand is on this group, but the enemy's trying to work against it, to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. So there's a battle, but it seems like this dragon's losing. Notice verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the people of God and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, the church, us, those, and how do we know? Those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. So, so what, are we, what are we learning? We're learning that we're in a, a real war zone with a real enemy who sees that his time is short, already been defeated by Jesus. Look, God's not waiting to the end to defeat Satan. He's already defeated right now. But we haven't seen the end of time yet, so he's mad at Jesus and the people of God. I'm just here to remind you that it's not unintelligent to say that there are unseen things going on that are impacting you and impacting me. And no, it may be a person, it may be your job, it may be a circumstance, but there are other sources behind the scenes. And behind the scenes, the devil has one objective. Jesus said it. The thief comes to what? Steal and kill and do what? Destroy. Because he hates God, who's the victor. And because you belong to Jesus, he hates you. Write this down. Satan hates Jesus. Satan hates Jesus' followers. And Satan hates you. Now, I don't want to get overly dramatic, but I think I will. I think it's cute at times, you know, especially around Halloween, you you know, you see it and people are like, oh, little pitchfork, oh, you know, little devil, or the devil made me do it. And, and, you know, it's tongue in cheek. But don't be a fool. The enemy is real, and hear this, alive. This isn't like some fictitious, like, poster of the past. A being who has beings with it trying to rip apart your life. This is why this is a book of hope, because if you don't know that, you may be following the very one trying to kill you. Think about that for a moment. What if the actions you're taking, the thoughts you're thinking, the motivations you're going by, the, the, the cultural norm for you, this is my life, What if behind that is the work of the enemy who's subtly trying to kill you? Now, the first trick he's going to do is to tell you he doesn't exist. And I think enough people in America have believed that right now. Oh, come on, that fairy tale. Give me a break. Yeah, there's maybe a power out there, but is there like a real entity trying to destroy us? Look, the Bible's true or it's not. And if Jesus says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you have life and have it to the full, he's either telling us the truth or he's lying to us. And I'm here to tell you he's not a liar. And so don't underestimate the reality of the devil, of the serpent, of the dragon, of Satan. Am I here to freak you out? Yes.
Okay. <laughs> John 13. Well, I'm not going to lie. All right. John 13, verse 1. The dragon, Satan, the devil, stood on the shore of the sea. The sea, by the way, in, in Hebrew thought, was the place of chaos and evil. Evil, unknown horror came out of the sea. We go to the lake to hang out. We go to the coast to freeze. They, they avoided the sea because that was seen as a graphic and an imagery of where storms roll in, right? So the dragon comes out of the stormy place. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. Oh, okay, so the devil's got a team. It had ten horns and seven heads with two crowns on its horns and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard but had feet like those of a bear and mouth like that of a lion. Don't think of an actual, like, freakoid, you know. These are all symbols. The dragon gave the beast, uh, gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. And the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and said, who's like the beast? Who can wage war against it? And the beast was given a mouth to other proud words and blasphemes to exercise its authority for 42 months. So this, this evil power has limited time. It, it's opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. So there's a battle and it seems like some are losing. It was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All those whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world, Whoever has ears, let him hear. If anyone's to go into captivity, into captivity, they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword, they will be killed. And, and all is like, okay, I'm confused. Here's the punchline. Star this. Underline this. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Now, what is all that? We could try to pick apart every symbol but you got to think big picture. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working to save. And what you're going to see here is that there's not one force out there trying to destroy you. The enemy is multifaceted and has a team. And so out of the serpent, or out of the dragon, or out of the devil, out of Satan, Satan authorizes, and here it's called the beast. And now we're going to see in a moment the second beast and its power comes from evil. But you know what? It's able to dupe people because those who don't belong to the lamb, belong to Jesus, follow in its course, which is crazy. It seems to have some wow factor. It had a fatal wound, but the wound is healed. It has some power. It has some authority. And remember, this is imagery. What we need to know is it's so convincing that the majority of people are enamored by its power and follow its direction. And what if I were to tell you right now that's still happening? Right now, the majority of people in the world are not following the way of Jesus when they can, are not following and obeying and living under God's good rule when they can. Most people 
are swayed by themselves. Their own culture, their own mindset, their own version of what they think life is supposed to be. And so the enemy, in somehow vivid imagery, is subtle and, and dangerous and conniving and is actually, it seems like his power is winning. So much so that even some people who belong to Jesus are conquered, are, are killed. There are every single day people who are murdered for their faith in Jesus. Every day around the world. And my friend, the work of the enemy is real. Well, the enemy is not real in my cul-de-sac. The problem is you're living in the burbs. You don't realize we're living in a war zone. Now, I have had a chance to go to uh, many challenging parts of the world. I, I was in southern, southern Sudan. Well, it was in the middle of a civil war. And I got off the plane. And there were tanks everywhere. And there were machine guns outside of our hotel room. And we went to drive to do an outreach in the town. And we got stopped by a guy with a big machine gun who said, give me a ride. And we all said, yes, sir. And he gets in the car. And we're driving around thinking, what? I got landmines to the left and right. I'm like, what am I doing here? And insurance is not going to pay out my poor wife when I never make it home. This is crazy. That's real. Right now, Myanmar, there's a civil war going on right now. We are living in a war zone, and I'm not talking about just literal war. I'm talking about a battle for people's eternity. It's happening now, and the beast is, is deceptive, trying to, trying to kill us. You freaked out yet? I'm here for you. Verse, uh, verse 11. Then I saw a second beast, it gets worse, coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. So it looked like one thing, but it actually had another power. It exercised all the authority of the first beast, so its source is evil. On its behalf, it made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed, and it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven and the earth in full view of all of its people. Because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. That's what we're supposed to get. The imagery is pointing to the work of the enemy is is deceiving people and they're actually believing it. In order to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And the second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, slave and free, to receive, ah, oh, now we're getting to, this is what revelation is to most people, to receive the mark on their right hands and their foreheads so they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. And then obviously, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. That number is what? 666. This freaked me out as a kid. I was so scared of that that I was going to take the mark of the beast accidentally. And I was like, man, don't, don't, you better watch out, you know? And so depending on, you may be saying, you had a weird childhood. I, I, I agree. But depending on where you are in this book, this is, this, is, this is scared a lot of people. What are we supposed to see? Okay, first thing, there is an unholy trinity. The, 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 the imagery is pointing to this Father, Son, and Spirit working our salvation. There's dragon, beast, and beast. And and, and the, the, the number of God 
throughout the Bible is seven. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work and called it holy. The Sabbath is the seventh day. Throughout the Bible, not every time, but almost every time, the number seven speaks of completion and perfection and beauty and holy and God. And, and, and the, the number here is, I thought like, you know, am I gonna get, you know, I'm not gonna get a tattoo because what if I, the, the picture is actually six? I, like, you know, I'm all, all the weird things. But what you need to see is that this evil is trying to emulate God. So the number of God would be 777. Father, Son, and Spirit. Holy, perfect, pure. That's the, that, you know, imagery-wise, the number would be God. But his counterfeit is 666. Uh, six is known as the number of man. Mankind was created on the sixth day. It represents human origin, earthly origin. And so what we see is now for them, they would have no problem knowing what this meant. This is a mystery for us. It wasn't for them. The second beast sets up an image that's to be worshiped and everyone who doesn't worship this image could be killed and they knew exactly what was happening. In their day, Rome was the power. If you wanted to live, you had to live by Roman ideals and the Romans would overtake a, a people group and smash their culture and bring in the vision and values of Rome. You now live under Roman rule. And Roman rule included a way of worship. You worship the pantheon of gods. And it got to the point by the time of Jesus that the Caesar, whoever was in charge, was not seen as a human leader. They were seen as divine and holy. And there were actually days set apart and temples erected to worship Caesar as Lord and God. So these images, seem, they seem vague to us, but John is saying, Rome, who's leading, is not our problem. It's the source of Rome's rule. The vision and values of Rome for them were against the way of Jesus. And the vision and value of Rome is 666. And, the, and what Rome is going to do is say, if you want to live, you must bow to our vision and values. You must worship Caesar as Lord. And for the Jesus follower, this was not acceptable. You can't. There's one Lord and God. And it's Jesus. You don't bow to. And, and so for them, the people of God, they, they had to be reminded this, this wasn't a government problem. I mean, so many of us think blindly, change the government and we're going to change the world. And I say, are you so short-sighted? Change the soul and you'll change the world. You could change the government tomorrow. You're going to go red, blue, green. I don't care your rainbow color. You're not going to change the world through government transformation. Because the source of all human government is not God. And behind it is actually the work of the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. I'll go on record. There are no Christian governments. There are only Christians. There are no Christian nations. There are only Jesus followers who live in nations. We either follow the Lamb or we end up following Rome. And the warning and the beautiful insight you get from the revelation in this section is behind it is subtle and believable. And so it is possible to actually think you're following Jesus and be completely worldly. Hear me. 
to think you're following Jesus. And this is the enemy's scheme. It's not so overt. He's not going to come with a pitchfork and horn and say, follow me. What he's going to do is cause you to hear these things that sound true but are toxic and against, against the heart of God. And then believe them and say, I love Jesus, but this is how I actually live. 666, uh, the, the, the number there, some even suggested that if you use those numbers and attach them to letters in Hebrew, which is often done, done in that day, spelled out Nero Caesar. For them, Rome was the epicenter of what the enemy would be because the kingdom values of Rome were against the way of Jesus big time. And so you and I are gonna have to choose. Notice at the end, this, this requires wisdom. It requires wisdom so, that, so we know what to do. Five things I want you to see really quick and I'll just shoot right through them. We're gonna respond and worship because the imagery is easy to get lost. I totally get it. But they speak to real things. Five things, write them down. Number one, we're living in a war zone of mindsets and choices. You and I, you need to know, this is written as a book of hope. Jesus follower, we're living in a war zone of mindsets and choices. And, and the question is, are we going to be marked by the beast? Are we going to take on the vision and the values that our world is spitting out? We think the source is like some smart person or some insightful organization but if it doesn't align with the word of God, if it doesn't align with the way of Jesus, you know what it is? It's the enemy subtly trying to pull us away. And verse chapter 13, verse 10 is so crucial. What does this call for? Patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. We're living in a war zone. We, we can't be asleep and just pretend. If I just go to church on Sunday, once a month, and if I just, you know, do a few good things, I'm going to be okay. No, you're not, because you are either following actively the lamb who's in resistance to this earthly system, or you're sucked in by it and subtly taking its mark, taking its vision, taking its values. I'll tell you clearly, in the first century, this meant for the Jesus follower, if you were a stone worker and built houses with stones, they took a day to worship Caesar. And if you were part of their, their guild, if you were part of their little organization, you had to come and worship, but you now follow Jesus. What am I going to do? Well, you know, well, just go along and pretend. It's no big deal. Just fit in. Well, actually, now as a Christian, now I have a choice to make. I'm either going to stand for Jesus or I'm going to get slowly sucked into the world and its view. And, and this meant... This meant some of the Jesus followers, they didn't even love their lives so much. They, they considered the risk of their own life, their livelihood, their job. Following Jesus is the most important thing. And I just wonder if we even have that kind of goal. Do we even have that goal? That we live so for Jesus that we love people. We're not anti-people. We're not talking down at people. But we're so enamored by Jesus that when we hear an alternative, we're like, thank you, no thank you. I'll totally hang out. But that's not my way. I, I found a better way. Or are we more like, I just want to fit in. We're living in a war zone. Second, following Jesus requires constant discernment. We don't just swallow whatever the culture throws at us. So let me ask you, who gets the right to tell us what's right and wrong? 
Very good. God. But you know what? Today's culture, the work of the dragon and the two beasts has so warped the mindset that literally today, if you say anything other than this, you're weird. Look, you have the right to be the best you. What you need to do is live into your vision. Don't let anyone stop you. Don't let anyone, don't let anyone keep you from expressing yourself because your vision of what life should be is the most important vision and don't let anyone stop you from becoming you. That sounds so attractive until you realize it's deadly. Only one person gives the right between right and wrong, and that's the creator. See, this is where following Jesus starts to hit real life. So we need to serve. What do you do with your money? Is it your money in the first place? Is it God's money that's given to you for good? What do you do with your body? Hear me, hear me. What are you doing with your body? Do you know for the Jesus follower, your body is a temple. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, the Bible says, honor God with your body, your life. You don't belong to you. You belong to Jesus. Now, what I'm saying sounds archaic. It just happens to be absolutely true. And the scary part is some of you are wondering, like, are you serious? That's the scary part, is we've been so dumped on with a worldview that is Rome, that is the dragon, that is the beast, that some of us are like waking up to, I can't tell you how many 20, 20 somethings I've spoken to or other leader friends have spoken to who honestly, honestly, goodness, Jesus loving people have said, wait a minute, so you're telling me I just can't sleep around with my girlfriend or boyfriend even though I love them and I want to marry them maybe someday? Who are actually shocked to, to realize that we're supposed to honor God with our body. I'm like, are you serious? And when they hear that, are usually cut to the heart of like, oh my gosh. Because the cultural sway is so strong that we don't even know what's right and wrong. We don't even know what's up and down. Hear me, this is not a condemnation. This is a wake up call. Number three, I said it was gonna be quick, I lied. The devil and demons are real. The devil and demons are real. It sounds crazy, but friend, the enemy's greatest trick is to tell you he doesn't exist. The devil and demons are real. Number four, Jesus' victory is our victory. And this is the good news, okay? This is now all hard stuff. So I'm going through battles, but Jesus' victory is now our victory. So we're going through, the church was going to go through hard times. That's why the revelation was written. And we're going to go through hard times. That's why we read it. But we need to know that Jesus already won the victory and he's holding us. He's going to bring us strong to the end. But I don't want to lose touch with him, which means number five, our obedience to Jesus will be costly. It will be. So if, you're, if your faith gives you the flexibility to do whatever you want, I'm just going to suggest this to you. You don't have a Christian faith. If, your, faith, if your, faith, your version of faith gives you the freedom to be you and do whatever you want and not press into the way of Jesus, Jesus said, my road is narrow and it leads to life. The wide road, the anything goes road, leads to destruction. It seems pretty 
but its source is the enemy. And I just don't want that for you. So we're going to have to choose the way of comfort or the way of the cross. And this is where Revelation 12 and 13 help us to realize Jesus in his giving of himself, he won the victory. So now I can take up my cross and follow him. Not my way, your way, Jesus. Not my mindset, your mindset, Jesus. Not my truth, whatever my truth might be. No, your truth, Jesus. So, so whatever we're going to do, we need to use wisdom. Friend, we need wisdom for the day so that we can live steadfast through the trials. And here's the good news. Jesus already made a way for you to do it. So you're like, I can't live up to it. I agree. You can't. I can't. But that's why Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he sent the Spirit living inside of you. Jesus lived out the will of the Father. So can you. Jesus did the work of the Father. So can you. Jesus was able to resist temptation. So can you. We can be the people of God if we press in. And and the word was to the church, so the church wouldn't cave in, okay? So, yeah, a slightly harsh word this morning, but that's why the Bible's alive, right? Okay, here's the good news. We can now respond with lies filled with worship. What's the Spirit telling you? What's the costly thing that the Holy Spirit is telling you? Enough of this, enough of that. Hey, you keep believing this, it's not going to produce life. I'm warning you! Whatever it is, let's now, in response and worship, and then taking the bread and the cup in a few minutes, let's let the Holy Spirit now work in us. Whether you're in the building or you're at home, listen, the Holy Spirit is working in you, in your chair, to help you see your desperate need for Jesus and his life-giving power. And he's trying to wake us up, wake us up, to say like, stop sleeping. Now's the time to live awake. And, and you can. And that's why God's given us the word to wake us up. So let's, uh, let's stand on our feet if we can. If we're in the building at home, I want you to prepare the bread and the cup. We're gonna, Michael's going to lead us on a song in response. We're going to come back. We're going to take that. We're going to remember the beautiful work of Jesus. And then we're going to ask the Spirit to now drill in what needs to change in light of what we've heard. Lord, we thank you for the truth that you've given us. Even though it seems mysterious, it's now pressing into how we think and feel. So Holy Spirit of God, now we invite you to take these real, real, real truths and embed them into the DNA of our mind and heart so that we can now think different and live different because we are different because we belong to you. Holy Spirit of God, help us. Help us now. Help us now as a community to live this out, we pray in Jesus' beautiful name. Uh, amen. Let's respond in worship and singing in the bread and the cup.